0: Is it snowing yet? Is it snowing in it's Richmond?
1: Straight ice, dude. Yeah. All it did today Our guest was just. It's probably like, why does this dude have on a toboggan? Because <laughs> she is in a much warmer climate than me. But yes. it's about 25 degrees out, and we're yes. supposed to get like an inch of ice. Yeah. So.
0: Real cold here. It rained just like water that froze almost immediately as it hit the ground almost all afternoon. So like cars on the street were just uh, just like encased in like a half yep. inch layer of ice, and it's 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 annoying. Either snow, like two feet, or leave me alone, All right? The beautiful part is that through the age of technology, I can
1: like work from home, and we can do stuff like this from home, so... Hell, I'm already working from home every day right now. We're finding ways to stay
0: occupied. Yeah, you've been going into the office the whole time with COVID. I've been at home since last March at this point, so... Yeah. But let's get right into it today, so welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Wall And before we get into letting Evan introduce today's awesome guest Hit the subscribe button, like, comment on the YouTube video if that's where you're watching Uh, Follow us on all podcast services, well major ones, not all of them But like Google, Spotify, Apple, they're all there Hit up LoneStarPercussion.com as we have partnered with them to bring you a discount code to save $10 on any order of $50 or more I mean, you buy a pair of mallets and you're already there if you're a front ensemble person or yeah, it's nuts. So take advantage of that. Helps them, helps us, helps you. Everybody wins. Um, check uh, patreon.com slash agedoutpodcast if you want to support us financially at all. Give us a dollar or two a month. It all helps us out. We have some goals for the podcast that it'll help us reach. And did I get it all, Evan?
1: I think so. Did you say the actual code for Lone Star? Oh, is the aged actual
0: out? code is agedout. No spaces. In the it'll check be in the out. video description and the podcast okay. description on the services. Thank you for that. I don't write this down. It's all off my brain, you know. It's all, running with it's it. It's a lot at this point. So, Evan, just take it and stop me from rambling.
1: Yeah, it's improv. It's all good. Uh, so, yeah, our guest today graciously joined us just through a, a message um, sending out. She was able to uh, carve out some time to join us. So, without further ado, welcome Lauren Teal. Did I pronounce that right?
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And also very impressive info, I would not say it as well as you guys just
1: did. <laughs> well, we have many experiences stumbling across ourselves, um, just like with this activity, many bad reps to produce <laughs> good ones. So oh. <laughs> I'm sure we can all relate to that. Well, cool. But yeah, uh, Lauren, we'll just get into it, I'll allow you to kind of take us through your bringing, uh, upbringing of tr- percussion, music, the arts, how you're introduced to the activity, uh, some influence, inspirations, and yeah. Go for it.
2: Absolutely. You know, I think I came out of the womb holding drumsticks a little bit. (laughs) My dad was a a snare drummer at JSU back in the day, and so there were like home videos of me sitting in front of the TV swinging drumsticks around. Heck uh, yeah. Cadets from 1992. Uh, But you know what's funny is (laughs) you look at the video and I'm twirling it around. It's a lot more rotation and not so much turning your wrist. I think I knew from an early age I'd be in some mallets. You were (laughs) destined. To Sorry, Dad. Uh, it's in your yeah. DNA. Yeah, but you know, like, from a young age, I was I was introduced to the activity, drum corps in particular. Uh, my dad would always kind of drag me along to some of the shows. Since I was like seven, I want to say. But it wasn't until I was maybe 12 that I really started to, like, appreciate what was going on. Uh, you know, it's about the time we all get into it in middle school. Um, and, you know, I think I was fortunate in being in some really great schools. I grew up in the area, Texas, and went to Coppella High School um, and had some really phenomenal teachers. Uh, you know, I don't know if he would claim me as a student, but Alan Miller actually came in two years into my high school uh, time and really changed the way I play, I think, for the better, uh, which ultimately helped, I think, open the door for me to go on and be a music major. Uh, and another big influence, I want to say, from my undergrad was Mike Hodges, a uh, cool, killer quad player. He was my private lesson teacher. And I remember just thinking, like, as a high schooler, like, man, that guy's got figure it figured out. Like, teaches drumline, he plays in a band, and, like, teaches-
1: Living the dream.
2: I was like, that's the dream right there. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, the goals have changed as I've like grown, but back in my high school days, that was really the the epitome of, like, that's what I'm going to do. And so, you know, through those connections and um, just kind of being in the DFW area, there were a lot of drum corps shows that happened. uh, I kind of really was around it a lot. And I I think the the really turning point was 2007 at San Antonio and that lot, watching the Phantom Regiment live, just like... Great show. Oh my God, the music. Like, And I remember, you know, there was a a guy on the high school snare line with me that... um, he, he had been auditioning for Phantom Edge for that year, and he kept telling me, like, oh, you got to check out the show, like, the music series. And, like, I'll be honest, like, before then, like, I was kind of a Blue Devils fan. I was a little bit of Cavaliers, you know, before. I, I was in that. But then the way he talked about that 07 group and then getting to see it in person kind of sealed the deal. And, uh, you know, I tried in 08. The Spartacus show didn't quite make the cut, but it definitely lit a fire under my butt. And I like to joke that the only reason I still do drum corps is because I will never let – go of not making the 08 group and getting to win DCI but uh, you know yeah. I, I think that was like a big influence then and, and is now is just my experience with drum corps. Um, the first camp I went to in 08 uh, I, I met a lot of students and I remember having the the feeling of like this is something I, I want to be a part of and it, it had a serious impact on me and I remember looking around the room and, and noticing a lot of folks went to UNT and that that kind of you know, pushed me in that direction too. You know, I I looked at places like UT, TCU, um, JSU, the connection with my dad, but just co- going to that camp kind of solidified my decision that like I think UNT is where I want to be, and uh, I'm so thankful for all of those experiences it gave me. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you how many opportunities I can tie back to that decision to to march at phantom regiment and to be at UNT. Um, Absolutely. And I, yeah. You know kind of, everything kind of comes one step at a time, but I marched two years at Phantom Regiment, and then went over to Vanguard, uh, in 2011, which was probably one of my favorite shows ever to play. Uh, the music was just unlike anything else we would played. It's definitely the hardest book to learn. Uh, and That, that was did- the
1: uh, Devil's Cares- Staircase show, right?
2: Staircase, yeah. Which was, was, was aggressive. It was very aggressive, but there was one show, we had this like voiceover, this is like the dawn of like the pre-show voiceover type thing, and, we had this one show, and I I couldn't tell you where it was, but the guy gets on, and they had this like really like ominous like, imagine you're in hell, and you can't get out. But this one show in particular, this guy gets on and goes, imagine you're in hell, and can't get out, and it was like, <laughs> oh, it was like <laughs>
1: that's, that's like an anchor man, Ron Burgundy, like who put a question mark in the
0: teleprompter? <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. It's
2: like, oh, okay. But yeah, that's awesome. An, an aggressive show compared to you know the year before i'd done like the into the light show which had a soft ending and i remember i'll be honest when i heard we were doing a soft ending i was like oh really come on but yeah it, it ended up being a, a pretty special show in its own merit and i think the more i get the more i appreciate what that was but 2011 if you ask me that's the year that i really remember and there were some great players in that group too and, and Mickey just took all my friends and that have gone on to do amazing things um
0: can we can we talk for a second while you bring up uh Vanguard 11? Just like what was being a part of a complete staff overhaul change in a drum corps? Like, did it feel different to you? Was it, cause obviously you followed Paul and right. Sandy from phantom to Vanguard. Like, were there a lot of, like how many vets were kept or like, were still there from 10 to 11 through the staff change out of curiosity.
2: I believe in the front. So I marched in the front ensemble. Uh-huh. um through there, uh, there was a vibraphone player and a percussionist that stayed from the previous year. And then I'm trying to remember. Obviously, I think most of the cymbal line was alumni. And then I think maybe one bass drummer. I can, Like, don't quote me on that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. That's fine. No, you're good. We're, is We're that stretching standard? you back.
0: Like, is that, I've not really ever looked into, like, it's obviously staffs move around all the time throughout drum corps history and jump ship from one to another and then go back sometimes and blah, blah, blah. Is that typical, you think, like just uh, a, almost a complete member swap over? Or was that just like
2: maybe I think unique? Maybe, you know, I don't know if it's unique or not. I, I can speak to my experience. Mm-hmm. I know that what what that group was at Phantom Regiment, I think part of why it's so successful is because we are all on the same page about like what the goal is. It's a group effort. And it's fun to be with your friends and play For at sure. a you know what i mean like and so i think it was an easy decision when it came you know when paul did decide to move teams he didn't he didn't have to ask any of us to do like he didn't approach any of us and say like hey follow me to here we we all chose to do that yeah Uh, i think it was just because we all really believed in him and the staff and the music that we played and um you know i my perception was that like as far as like section goes it felt like business as usual it just felt like we were wearing a different uniform
0: yeah that's um, pretty cool yeah
2: uh the i think the the biggest difference was maybe like the core propers culture was a little bit different uh you mm-hmm. know obviously regiment has its own identity and vanguard has a, a equally unique and different identity um i think one of the biggest things i remember was just at regiment i'm sure it's not like this now but at regiment we had a we would stay up all night and camp weekends and like kind of hype it, learning the music and seeing how clean we could get it by Sunday. Like that was like, yeah, we're going to like be so excited. Like we would stay up all night. <laughs> it was totally in our hands. And that Sunday recording was like, like, that was like always the goal. It was like, we want to walk away and be like, yeah, okay. That sounds, we're, we're ready to go. And we got to Vanguard. There were some pretty like, like clear rules about like 11 PM. Like we're done. Like nobody's. And, and I remember being like, well, how are we going to get the music right like we're just, <laughs> confused by like, what do you mean we can't keep playing like i want to i want to play it's awesome and it, I, I i see where they're coming from you know like the, the whole thought that i think this is kind of indicative of like the whole trend that has been the last decade in dci where there's like a lot more awareness about the full health of the member and everything yeah, like yeah definitely but that was definitely like a huge shift in culture and i don't think necessarily one is better than the other i think they were merits to both but it, it just took me a minute. Like Those were the things that I remember being like, whoa, that's different. But as far as the way we played together and we operated as a section, it's just a different uniform and a different tour. It's great to see the kind of the West Coast. Oh, I'm I thought, sure.
1: I, thought I bet for- another big difference is that you had a much more uh, scenic move-ins housing site going from like Rockford, yeah. Beloit, Wisconsin area to <laughs> California.
2: I'll tell you, there's some pictures out there of that move that year. It actually snowed. And I remember just like being totally unprepared, like from a standpoint, and being like an ensemble, just like, what are do we doing? Why is it snowing <laughs> in California? But it, it was it was very beautiful. Like waking up every morning to see Mount Sashda, like having like my marimba sectional looking at this like beautiful scenery. Like, yeah, it was a really fun, phenomenal experience. And I'm thankful that that was my last year as a member. I think that. You know, regardless of I, I don't even remember where we ended up placement wise but like i i like always will go back and listen to that show so
0: yeah it was uh, a great show i'm definitely jealous of the west coast tour we thought for like half a minute blue coats were gonna do a west coast tour in 2012. Yeah, did not end up happening and sadly we did the exact same tour i did at blue stars <laughs> in 2010. like we stayed at some housing sites at blue coats in 12. I, I got off the bus at three in the morning and was like i've been here before like we Isn't just follow weird- it's wild
2: yeah like, like i know where i am but i don't know like i don't know what location but i've definitely been here and like,
0: no like it was yeah. the same school like the blue coats housed at the same <laughs> school that the blue stars did two years prior for that for whatever show in wisconsin or illinois wherever the hell we were
1: that's like a mix of deja vu slash ptsd that you're just. Such a weird feeling,
0: but I'm not joking. Kind of I got off the bus and stood there and looked around and I, at like three in the morning with the school parking lot lights and went, Oh crap. <laughs> I, and the sad part was the fields at that school were terrible and they were still terrible. Of course. I'm sadly. So
1: to yes. do a quick backtrack, you talking about the 07 show was such an inspiration for you for Phantom Regiment. That show gave me such a deeper affection for four over three rhythms that, uh, boom, don Yeah, just so awesome. It just feels so good to the soul. And a guy that went to the same high school as me, uh, was a drum major that year, Darian Sanders. What's oh, up, dude? Yeah. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, to talk to onto that, I actually had like a, a slight full circle moment when I was at UNT. Um, the last year that I think they did the were if you want to call it that, the marching festival <laughs> at Kusik. Oh, they the like
1: sick stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I was in that last UNT group in O eight and they played the drum solo from O seven and I was like so excited to get to play that. Like I was just <laughs> And you know, and a lot of the dudes in that line were like some of the the players that had been in those groups all the way back to like O three so like to get to pull along with those it, it was amazing, but yeah. That's but that, pretty sweet. I had not made Phantom Regiment yet and at that moment that was the cleanest group by far I'd ever been in and I just thought like wow like I don't even have to try and it, it sounds <laughs> I was playing like a steel pan, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, okay, let me learn how to play on this. But yeah, really cool to get to play. That's,
1: that. a, that's a great feeling. Uh, and you did just kind of gloss over the fact that you were a part of a Fred Sanford award-winning ensemble uh, in 2010, <laughs> which I will not gloss over. Um, and a good friend of Mike and mine who marched Rhythmics with us, Jared Quartz, who we did have on here, filled that bass spot. Um so one of my I guess, and this'll tag on to like maybe some teaching tools and stuff that you picked up, but one of my most or like memorable moments from that show for some reason is the end of the quad break. They're just doing all this crazy sweep stuff. And the pit intro into the end of that just comes out of nowhere, and it's just this like crescendo, and you really hear it in the timpani, and I'm just like, for the front to time that coming out of this just kind of mixed meter hemiola quad break is pretty impeccable. And that's one of the most impressive things in my show, in that show, in my opinion. But yeah, that, uh, go, ahead, go for it. Yeah. I'll let you take it away.
2: Well, I was going to say, I mean that, that movement in particular was so much fun to play and it always, it just felt really good. It laid well in the hands, but uh, it's funny you, you talk about that because I'm recalling like how the things that did to get that going. And it kind of turns back to what I was saying about like, the whole group and the culture was like this understanding of like, we had the single focus of making the music the best it could be. Like that was the goal. Like, yeah, we would love to like win drums. And yeah, we, you know, but the, the, the focus was always on like, no matter what, that's something that can't be taken away, which is like, we're going to play this music at the highest level possible. And so, and there was a real understanding of the correlation between the front ensemble and the battery parts. Um, And, and with that in particular, like, I think the phrase before that, there were a lot of these like isolated stabs, um, that
1: June, June, yeah,
2: was, um, So there would be many nights where on the bus, like I remember sitting with Matt Pinland and having him drum the quad and like trying to learn the quad feature so that I understand what, how my part fit in with that. And the funny thing is uh, the timpanist that year was Tyler Sammons and he was roommates with one of the quad players, like in real, life, in real life, not drum corps life. And so I think if I can remember correctly, that lick that Tyler ended up playing in the, the timpani was kind of like in a rehearsal, Paul was like, Tyler, can you just like add the lick on the symphony And he knew- <laughs> And so, you know, as pit folks, like it was our job to know their book. And um, I think he was able to put that in immediately because he already knew the book. And that's, I think that's one of the clever things about being in those ensembles. And one of the things I've, I've picked up and, and really try to utilize myself as a teacher is trying to give comments that force the student to find the answer versus just giving them the answer. You know what I mean? And meaning like, Paul does this very deliberate thing when we are adding in, uh, like, like one of the things I, I think about when I think about like Vanguard and, and back in the day, Phantom Regiment, or before that, Crown, uh, is the use of symbol textures and to accent and highlight things. And just like, I learned so much about like how to voice from just listening to those recordings, but the way uh, they get added in as super organic. It's, in, it's not ever written in on our parts necessarily, it's, it's added in as we go. And he has a specific way of doing it saying like, okay, you know what, the peak of the, the battery solo, I want this symbol here, like at the end of that triplet roll, he says it that way versus saying, measure 43, add this in. And he's doing that so that you are forced to listen for the part and understand what they're playing. And I, that was one of those things that like at the, at the time as a member, like it kind of creates this like, oh, okay, I got to get this right. But he's leading you to the answer without even saying the answer and therefore you always nail it because you know exactly what you're playing with versus like, it would be so easy to be like, okay, letter A, just add the pen. But by talking about what it was that you're playing with and not giving you that information, you're forced to listen so much more intently to get that. Pen.
1: I love that, especially in an activity that by nature lends itself to a lot of rote teaching just because yeah. of doing endless reps on reps on reps, finding ways to create more and more musicality and organic just like circumstance that happens because the shows aren't going to stay in time anyway.
0: They We try to, but they're not going to. Wait, uh, you mean drum corps aren't in time 100% at the tempo they want? Well, yeah. They especially weren't back <laughs> in the days when they didn't have Long Rangers.
1: But... <laughs> no, dude, back in the day, the push oh, and pull man.
0: of organic performances was insane. But there's just like an energy about that.
1: Yeah, 100%.
2: I, I like that aspect and I, you know I had a professor, so I got my master's degree at Indiana University and one of my uh, primary professors is Kevin Bobo and he actually marched like way back in the day on a sailor line, I could not tell you the name of this drum corps, it was like Dutch Boy or one of those groups like that. Um, this is probably not correct, please don't quote me on that. But one, <laughs> he was on the line, and he's the and I remember him saying like if drum corps could figure out how to manipulate time together that's like the next level. And I remember thinking like, well, I kind of think, A, like maybe intentionally or unintentionally, that does happen, but like live music moves. And like a case in point, look at that 2010 group, Uh, the end of the show, we had this huge ensemble. And because of the way we talk about listening and playing together and the emphasis on that, that allowed us to stretch that time together uh, very organically and really it's like, you know, like, I, so right now I'm like, I'm, I work in the university setting, and one of the things we talk about when talking about how to put your voice into the music you're making is to manipulate time. You can pull back and give weight to phrases to emphasize where the arrival of sounding. And I think that by training, like, yes, you need a foundation of how to play these rhythms accurately and correctly and how to maintain time, but also being able to allow maybe you want the end of a phrase to open up slightly and then like put the energy on and, and have it moving forward and knowing how to listen and move together like that is an invaluable skill that I totally attribute to my like time and drum corps. And, and that's something that as an ensemble player in the academic world. I, I would not replace it for the, anything. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Th- there was one year Phantom did too, or not Phantom, sorry, uh, Vanguard played for their ballad, like an arrangement of like Adagio for strings and mm-hmm. they just like, figured out how as a core to pull it and bend it to where just like the field commander, drum major, whatever you comment or whatever, however you want to call it, they're just like hanging on it. And then all of a sudden it's just in, and that just creates such an emotion and effect. Um, I mean, I think that anybody who's teaching somebody solo literature would dive into that so much. How are you going to separate yourself from someone else that's playing for an all state audition or for a competition, a basic solo or an I.N.E. What can you do to stand out, especially in a percussive aspect where time is really most of what we have, where we don't have as much tone like a clarinet or a trumpet would have uh, just using that weight to enact emotion.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. And again, like I, I specifically think of that 2010 group, there was one show in particular in Mississippi. Uh, we had three, three shows in a row where
1: Mississippi, oh. You know,
2: yeah yeah <laughs> but I remember it was three in a row leading into, to Atlanta and I, I think the the hype had been like for us to, to set ourselves up for Atlanta we really need to come out strong these three shows and the first two nights we had won drums and that third night was like one of those shows like I'll never forget where we get to the end of the tune and we're we're playing and we it's like you ever had one of those shows where you just feel like nothing could go wrong like it's like no matter yep what, and so we're finishing it right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> being um, and it was like way more exaggerated than we normally do it but because we were all so in tune with where we were putting it it was like pristine and i t- i'm telling you it was like the, you should go like if, if you have the free time you could go find somewhere probably but it was so stretched out and so totally synced up like we left that place, like, that was it that was the one of all the shows that summer. That that one in particular, I bet if you asked anyone from that, that group they would tell you about that show. And the funny thing is we lost drums that night. But I still... Wow. <laughs> <remember laughs> <Sorry>. I thought <laughs> you
0: were going the exact opposite direction with that story.
2: <laughs> I thought you were
0: going to be like everything was so perfect and then until the very end and we like botched the last note of the show or something. I think my brain went there because I have a secret story about botching the last note of a show. But... Uh... <laughs> I don't think it's secret. You've said it on this podcast many times. No, I haven't. Yeah, how you, yes, you yeah, have. Have not. Sure. All right. Yes. I'll, uh, basically, quarterfinals night in 2012 at Blue Coats was, our, was the battery's best run of yeah. the entire summer. It's better than semis, better than finals. It's Quarters night was great. And the one, Pipitone was the judge, and he was right in front of the snare line at the end of the show. You know, we're playing this thing to our eyeballs or whatever, and we had this, like, I don't. Was it a dotted quarter note rhythm at the end? Boom. Whatever it was. Bottom <laughs> line, it was perfect, and I just like overreached for the last note. And on the recording, anye uploaded the quarters tape. You can hear it. It sounds like the recording screws up. It's that bad. It sounds like the recording <laughs> skips. Like it's like a almost a thirty second it. note after, like or ha- a sixty fourth note, if you will, or whatever. It's bad. So I thought you were going the total opposite direction with that story, but it's just PTSD for me. So, you know, but before we move on, hold on, wait for it. It's all Jeff
1: Prospery's fault, Lauren. It was his fault. Hattiesburg, Mississippi, July 28th, 2010. Yeah, there it is. There it is. All right,
0: wait. I have to drink away my sorrows of telling that story again. (laughs) There we go.
1: Yeah. But in the opposite respect, how we're talking about just time moving and being pretty organic in this activity. I remember specifically having shows where we as a battery, were just so sluggish because say the field the grass was like super thick yeah and we're just moving at like halftime out there we just can't have enough energy to play in the pit was like you guys are really slow i'm like dude (laughs) you guys get out there and and march it sucks yeah but but yeah that was one thing too that i i do not envy about front ensemble and have total respect for is just the understanding of the show at a much higher level than I ever did as a battery member. Cause I'm just kind of like in there in the back. I'm trying to be a robot. I'm trying to plant time. I'm trying to watch the drum major's hands, this and that. And one day we're doing laundry in our uh, center marimba at the time. Alex Clutz was like, Hey man, I want you to teach me the snare part. I want to learn it. And I was like, really? Why? And he was like, I oh, just helped me. I was like, okay, let's go. Um, but it never at any point did that cross my mind. That's, Hey, why don't you teach me the, that two mallet lick you guys got in the beginning of part five or something. I'm just like, "Nope."
2: So, yeah. Well the level
1: of understanding that you guys, as front ensemble members integrated in the show, have is uh, definitely higher.
2: <laughs> I think it's to make up for all the lack of marching. Maybe <laughs> it's just like <laughs> add the responsibility that way.
0: Yeah, extra mental demand.
2: Yeah. So yeah, you know. So again, the the drum corps thing had a, a, a huge impact on me as a player, and I, mean, I think ultimately what I'm doing now. Um, when I, when I finished UNT, I kind of took two years off. I did what I think a lot of folks do, did a music degree, which is, I, I did the percussion director thing in Georgia. Um, I had family out there, and I remember I actually submitting my resume to my aunt who worked in Cobb County, and she said, oh, I'll send this to like, our music coordinator, who happened to be Gary Markham, who was like, at the time was the chief judge of DCI, and he saw you know the, the groups I'd been in, and he was like, oh, I've got an you know, opening for you. I see the drum corps, and that's kind of how I ended up out that way um you know and i think that time was really important for me to kind of hone in on what it is i really wanted to do with my career or at least at that time um and as as, as someone that teaches now i really advocate for student if you go the music route in school to like don't go straight through degrees but take time between your degrees so you can really if you do go get a master's you get at least an idea of like why you want to get it and what is it that you're trying to get out of it um because i you know i think two years for a typical master's degree flies by and it's impossible to get everything out of a program and that time and uh i was super appreciative of everything i learned and realized i was maybe needing to learn (laughs) being a percussion director for those two years and it kind of solidified my thoughts that i needed to go to a program that maybe had some hand drumming and drum set but also would allow me to continue playing marimba because those were you know those are the gigs that i was getting called to do and you know for my four years of drum set at unt i'm definitely not a drum set player and uh felt like i needed to expand upon that so that's how i ended up up in indiana and you know i guess i'm skipping a part that i, I was a pretty big break for me which was um when i moved to georgia i remember going to like a boa show i think in alabama taking like the georgia crew over the border and watching it, i'm really thinking like man i like i miss doing drum corps and i miss getting to see this and bang i think this was like 2012 vanguard was playing that was like the starry night show and I got to go watch them rehearse. And I just like really r- realized how much I, I did miss the activity and like, it would be nice to, you know, get involved. And it wasn't two weeks later that I actually got a phone call from Chris Romanowski, uh, that I thought was funny. Uh, I had met him a few weeks before, uh, you know, when I moved out to that area, I didn't know anyone really. And so I was just trying to like figure out who, who were the percussionists, what was the scene like. And, uh, Someone had said, "Well, why don't you go check out Atlanta? Come with me." And I come up and meet Chris Romanowski, and he walks up and goes, "Hi, Chris Romanowski, inventor of the heavy hitter pad." And I was like, "Hello, nice to meet you."
1: Co-inventor. Uh,
2: Co-inventor. Bill Bachman, as
1: Bill Bachman would argue.
2: Yeah. Well, I think Chris would also say, uh, "Of course, but yeah." yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but it, it was a lucky, you know. Like I think it was just kind of a random, like me coming to check out a, a rehearsal. I think a, a horn. Uh, guy that kind of remember exactly how this happened anyways he he brought me out and so chris called me a few weeks later and was like hey you want to come teach atlanta TV?" and thinking yeah absolutely like, i'm just i'm daydreaming so to get in a dca i thought was great and it wasn't like two three weeks after that i actually got a call from paul renick uh asking if i was interested in teaching at the troopers uh and little did i know how uh that was gonna affect the next eight or nine years of my life um but of course i said absolutely i want to do that and um he was really trying to create a scenario for his students to teach you know there 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 are limited jobs out there uh in the dci world and i think that was a really cool thing and i was very appreciative of being considered to do that um so that's kind of how i got the troopers thing and then you know i eventually made the decision that i wanted to go to grad school and and you and I picked IU because of a guy I actually met at Troopers uh, who worked at Center Grove, Jason Hammondwood, uh, was a base tech at Troopers and he's like, you know, we're looking for a pit tech, like the pit tech jobs coming open, you want to come work at Center Grove? And I had at that time had no interaction with Indoor. I think I taught like a, plastic a group kind of on the side, uh, you know, very casually, and I didn't really fully understand what it was or what that scene was. and you know, that seemed exciting to me. I knew the guy, Josh Torres, that was running it. it was a UNT alumni. Uh, and so that seemed like an interesting avenue for me. And so I applied to IU and, and kind of all fell, in, fell into place. And I got to end up working at Center Grove, which that was an amazing experience. I learned a lot about what to do, what not to do. And one of the best parts was really working with folks that kind of had different backgrounds than my own and seeing, like, what they do and utilize. And I think that was a little bit of a humbling experience, but also, like, A huge learning experience for me. Um, In particular, just like being a little more thoughtful about when we are working on just the mechanics and skill sets, like how to develop those exercises to make the book come together a little bit quicker. Um, Because a lot of like my, you know, I think I was lucky in the sense of the groups I came from, it was a lot of talk about like the music and how we're trying to make that sound, but it wasn't so much on just developing the mechanics from what I can remember. And now, you know the, that's not a fair blanket statement but getting to synagogue and really seeing like the correlation between like taking the time to dive into the the technique side of things and then the chop side of things and and seeing how those can marry together can really make some amazing results with the kids and like i i just remember being blown away by the things we were able to do with that, that high school group like you know at the time i was just like this feels like a miniature drum core to me like <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's not a bad program to be uh, thrust into as well. I mean, especially, obviously, you were probably exposed to many significantly good high school programs coming from Texas, but then the Indiana area is also pretty well saturated, especially that Indianapolis area itself and like the suburbs around it, yeah. uh, and definitely more into the the WGI indoor scene than, than the Texas bands are, sure. um, and then also happens to be a great music school there, too. What do you know? Uh, it's
2: Works out that way, yeah. Any no, good
1: school of music, no, no big deal. Uh, ended up getting your master's there, no big deal. So,
2: <laughs> really good experience. Like I said, it was. It, it seems like it went by in a flash. Uh, uh, like I blinked and I was already done with it. And I was lucky enough. Like after those two years, um, I had been kind of thinking I would stick around in Indiana. I'll be honest, it was freezing. I'm a Texas girl, and I remember walking outside. It was like negative five degrees. And I was like, nope, we're gonna go back inside. Actually, I remember. Very, difficult. one rehearsal for like just marching band, it started snowing. And to me, it looked like a blizzard. And the, the band director's like, okay, go ahead and blah, 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 reset. And there's like girls in like spaghetti strap shirts and like, you know, like the guard. And I'm just like, what? Cancel school, like what's happening? Like, they're <laughs> I'm like, I looked at the pit and I was like, my hands are ice cold. So I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> I'm sure
1: you could play this better if you were warmer. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Crazy triple laterals and like 7 and I'm just like, good luck. I, I can't feel my hands, so that was an eye-opening culture shock, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but I loved working there. Before. Again, Josh Torres is just an amazing educator, and he he truly gets those kids to to experience it all. You know, like not just the WGI group, which I I think they do a great job of, but like the solo lit and the percussion ensemble. Like those kids can seriously like i remember uh, i think it was like the 2016 group they really started doing like the hand-to-hand stuff and that snare girl was a killer marimba player like she like she was not just like a a a, a throw down on snare drum but she can also play marimba just as as well it's just like and that was how all those kids were i awesome. think the first time i had a student that i was like oh that kid can outplay me like it was like <laughs> yeah, I you, just, you showed me something i was like oh okay like normally i can just like walk up and do it and i was like oh okay. let me hack that out
1: <laughs> like yeah that's how i feel with uh currently t- teaching like a world-class indoor drumline i'm like i gotta make sure i'm ready to go these kids are gonna make me look bad <laughs> so <laughs> the literature that kids play now versus like when i marched oh it's I'm light like, years like years ahead i'm like all right this is like i think i got a silver medal like, I guess you would silver metal, the core finished second and we finished second drums. It was a good drum line, yeah. but like some of the stuff I see these kids playing on like Instagram and stuff like that, I'm like, bro, what?
0: I don't even know what half of it is. And I've yeah. always had a pretty good vocabulary in terms of rudiments. I just like, I don't know what's going on. All right, good for you. Well,
2: that's I feel that way looking at like the Troopers book. I'm like, man, play, like, half this many notes, it only won drums and it's like 10 years, like it's not even that long. You know what I mean? It's just like. Crazy to see how much it's playing. The evolution. The is evolution real. is,
1: cr- oh yeah, way to go, Jinx. But uh <laughs> yeah, the evolution is crazy, and that level of like player, yeah. I, I don't want to say at bottom end because that sounds like condescending, but I think everybody knows what I means. At the lower finishing, somebody's got to finish lower. It just is what it is. But those talent levels at like the lower finishing cores is like getting so much higher that everything is just like getting boosted from the bottom up. It's crazy. Yeah.
2: Um, like And I, I mean, talking about Troopers, like in 2013, that was the closest we made to finals. But the groups now that we have would play circles around that group. And it's just that everyone's gotten so much better. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Like some of the kids like I've got on the Rima line now, it's just like, yeah, OK, cool. Play Merlin. That's awesome. Like Great.
1: <laughs> so you're talking about you getting the call to go teach at Troopers for 2013. Obviously... Paul, networking, knowing people is a huge part of the the thing. Like obviously just getting your foot in the door, it certainly helps. But at the same time, as an individual, you had to be ready. Like you had to, I forget, there's some like terminology in sports, like for the guy who's like riding the bench, just like when you're, when your name gets called, you just gotta be ready to go. And you can't get in there and not produce And you just got to be ready for it when it comes so just being ready and like everything you've done to this point obviously has led you to put yourself in a position to be ready to be like i got the call i'm ready to go i'm about to kill this so when you stepped into troopers in 2013 what was your original role with the group
2: my original role was the front ensemble coordinator i think was the official title um and then in 2014 we had Opening, I will say immediately for the caption head position um, and that year, me and a guy that I went to school with Chris McWilliams kind of just held the fort together and, and were co-caption heads. And then I'm 15. Um, I just kind of took it over and, you know, I'll be honest, I've learned a ton and I certainly would not say that I felt ready to take that on, but I've uh, been fortunate to make a lot of very, uh, what's the word to say, friends that were willing to help me and, share their knowledge and answer the phone if should i call frantically and saying like okay how would you do this and i i think that's the biggest thing is i I wasn't afraid to call and talk to some like know that i have friends that had experienced these things and and hear them out and realize where my
1: not being prideful is great
2: (laughs) it's worked so far i think and 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 on top of that just surrounding myself with a team that is really strong you know i think The the team at Troopers is I I can't say enough great things about and I learn things from everyone on that staff every year, um and it's it's truly maybe more so than a lot of groups it's a it's a group effort from all of us to to get that group to to do what they do, Um, yeah it it definitely was a a, you know I think ultimately the conversation went it was actually Sandy Rennick that really inspired me to take that next step uh when the position was open I was kind of just as de facto. Keeping it running and fourteen, and she said, "Well, why don't you just? Why couldn't you be the caption head? Because you know, traditionally, when you think of a caption head, you kind of think it's it's typically a battery centric person." And she said, "Well, why couldn't it be a front front ensemble person? Like, why? What? Who's to say that it can't be that way?" And you know, I think that was an eye opening conversation. And she said, "If you want it, you need to say something. Don't wait." And that was also a powerful moment for me. Uh, and I kind of apply that now to a lot of other situations in my life where it's like. Sometimes you're not going to feel ready, or you're not going to feel uh, like you have all the answers. But putting yourself out there, you're either going to fail and learn a lot from it, or you're going to succeed, and either way, you're going to grow from that experience. So I think it's important too to let folks know like what you are willing to do and what you want to do. Like I, you know, like to tie it back to the IU thing. Uh, I remember having a conversation with our brass ranger after one rehearsal at Troopers, uh, Robert W. Smith, and he, I was like, what are you trying to do? Like, why Why are you getting a master's degree? And I said, well, ultimately, I think I want to teach college. And that one conversation, I think, is what really opened the doors for me to start being a college teacher. Um, I remember I was driving to move the next year. I was graduating at IU, and I was thinking at the time I was going to stick around at Center Grove. I was going to work with Jeff Queen over at Carmel, and that was going to, I was just going to do the Pitt Tech thing. And I get a phone call from Robert W. Smith and said, he was like, you ever thought about living in Alabama? And I was like, well, no, but I'm listening. (laughs) And he goes, well, there's an opening uh, in Alabama for a position down there. And if if you're interested, like I'm gonna put your name forward. And I was lucky to meet Tracy Wiggins and we had one conversation about philosophy of teaching and and how we think about sound and and that kind of sealed the deal. Um, So I just think it's important to A, put things out there. Like if, you, if you're interested in doing something or want to do that, say it and, and let don't be like hiding it. You know, like no one's gonna think of you if you don't tell people you're interested in doing that. And secondly, you know, like, yeah, be ready, have experiences. That's something I tell my students all the time. It's just like, you need to have, your undergrad especially is your time to have different experiences. So when the phone rings and someone says, hey, can you play this conga part? You can say, yeah, I've had the experience because you the, percussion, the music field in general is not a predictable path. And so it's all about having as many experiences as possible to prepare you for when one door opens, you can walk through it.
1: I think that's beautifully put. And also, I think that those work in tandem. You're talking about not being afraid to go for it and having experiences, which you're not going to get the experiences if you're not afraid to go for it. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, what's the worst that could happen? I have been cut from way more ensembles than I ever made. Yep. So, Any successful person
0: will literally just tell you, how do you get to where you want to get literally just start start doing it start doing it like you said verbalizing that you want to do it to whoever you want like just start like you might not be great at it at first but greatness takes time and effort nobody's born great at anything no matter how naturally talented somebody is you don't come out of the womb just amazing at something just start doing it and you'll learn as you go i mean
2: well i think i did come out of the womb amazing yeah you were ready to go Uh, yeah okay we (laughs) talked about that fair point fair point
1: (laughs) to kind of double back to what sandy was telling you like why not uh, a front more front ensemble focused person i think that that doubles back to what you were saying earlier and what we were kind of talking about your understanding of the full package of the show not just the battery but of the horn line too as far as like understanding that because yeah if I was sitting on top of a box or a tower and I was lining things up, which I do a lot, my instructions to the battery are probably going to be a lot more detailed than they would be to the front. ensemble. It's like, Oh yeah. So like battery, when we get to this like triplet roll that ends on like count three and like this third phrase, and then the front ensemble, it's like, because my nuance is not as high in the front ensemble, because I haven't experienced that. I'm not going to be able to give them as much as a detailed answer. So it lends you to a much more, full package like viewpoint feedback yeah feedback that you could give to the members that's so like why not (laughs) that's
0: interesting to me I'd never actually thought about you're you're right Lauren that like a lot more caption heads are battery focused people obviously I'm sure Tom knows a lot about front ensembles Tom Monks or or Tom Rarick has written front books for a long time etc but you are right like a lot of them were in batteries when they marched and that's a good point that to piggyback off what Evan just said that you would like, I can't give comments to the front beyond timing stuff, but I'm, I'm a drum head, but this is an example. Like, Mike sucks. Hey, shut up. All right, listen, <laughs> <laughs> but it would just make more sense from an understanding of the whole package because it's for an ensemble member. You have to understand the whole package.
2: Well, you know, I, I think one, one thing that I'll point out, which is another influence that as I've gotten older, I definitely recognize too, but like Julie Davila, in the 90s was in, in a regiment front ensemble i had no idea until recently she was a front person just based on her tapes and the amount of detail she's allowed and the things she picks up from an ensemble standpoint like she's got such a perception as far as like ensemble what's happening and that, that's something i always, always value from her tapes um and i i just think that like my commas typically to front or battery, end up kind of being in the same categories. We're talking about the music melody, we're talking about the timing of it, and we're talking about the sound quality of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to say that I'm going to get in there and tell them, like, all right, you need to feel the pressure here at the end of this roll to get the next. I'm not going to, I have texts that are going to do that. But what I am going to talk about is, like, how it feels, what you need to be thinking about, the sound quality of it. And those are universal things. That's music things, you know, and I think that can apply to the horn line, too. For it's sure. Like, the concept that, I like, what are we trying to say musically? If we can all think that the same way, more or less, it's probably going to result in the sound we're looking for. Just don't ask me to talk about marching.
0: What? Say that <laughs> again to cut out.
2: Don't ask me to talk about marching though, cause <laughs> Straight leg, straight leg. I don't really know your
1: tendu is jacked. Um, <laughs> well, I think this segues great too. You were just previously talking about your gig that you got, I don't want to call it a gig, but the job, the role that you got in Alabama, was that at UAB? Was that at university? I know you had a few different schools down there.
2: Uh, so the first one I landed with was University of North Alabama, where uh, Dr. Wiggins is the professional coordinator of that area. Um, and that was, you know, like, I am so thankful to get that first experience. I think I learned a lot in that first semester about just from like logistic logistics and organizational uh, these were things I was kind of learning at Troopers, but it was another level at that university. And just making sure like I was giving the students what they need and being clear about that. Um, and so th- there was that gig. And then um, Gene at UAB was actually in sabbatical that year. So he hired myself and Sean Womack, who at the time was the caption at the Mandarin's to come in and be like the interim adjuncts, which was awesome. We had Monday Drum Day every week. Uh, and That's where I got to learn how funny Sean was. Um, so that was my first year there. And then I was also lucky actually to work with Brad Palmer, uh, his company double stop at the same time, uh, which operates out of Birmingham. And I think that the model, uh, that he and Sean Womack had come up with where they basically are contractors that go into different schools and provide percussion classes. So you can basically exclusively teach percussion, but make a full-time living. If you want to put the hours in, it was really cool. And something that down the road, I. You know trying to do in hawaii um and then from there i you know i got a phone call kind of i was in i was the middle of teaching a camp i spent two years at una and i was in the middle of teaching their marching band camp going on in my third year and i got a phone call that said you know what are your goals career-wise and at the time like i was you know kind of doing it right now i want to do a little bit of everything that allows me to have flexibility but still in the academic world and this person was kind of vague, and they were just like, "Well, get your resume ready." And they hung up, and it was like this, like very like, I was like. Okay. And then the next day, my phone was like blowing up with all these different people I'd worked with, like from Troopers, and and just knew from Alabama that um, the University of Alabama folks were actually looking at me to be the interim director of percussion for the year because their director Fini, had just taken a job in California, like mid june
1: um, Roll tide.
2: Oh yeah, roll tide, and that that was such a crazy whirlwind of an experience. That was not something that I saw myself doing at that time. Uh, And again, it was one of those moments of like, you know, this is something that I don't necessarily feel ready for, but I'm going to either succeed or I'm going to learn a lot trying. Uh, And I I certainly did learn a lot about that whole experience. And on top of that, yes, I went to UNT, which our football was dismal. So to get to go to a school where the football literally crushes everyone except for Clemson, which they did not win that year, was pretty – Oh, no see like oh my gosh like just getting you know like and that was the whole thing I, i'd like when i got hired i was like you know i'd be happy to work with the marching band. like that's what i do and getting to go and see how they travel it was like the, literally we had police escorts everywhere i remember we drove down to miami never did we stop at a stoplight they would like block the highway off so it was just like it Dude, was
1: presidential like, escort that's what's yeah. up
2: no uh, yeah it was like unbelievable and i remember the last game it was um we played Clemson out in california santa clara which was like, a very funny like oh we're out here um they chartered like this plane but the weird thing was the plane i can't even remember the name of the, the the plane brand or whatever but it was not one i recognized and i and it we walked on and it looked like it was straight out of the 70s like with like the cigarette. I was like uh is this plane going to take like it, i did not think it would take off i was a little skeptical
1: duct tape wings
2: yeah, i looked it up and it was like oh this this company went out of business because the, a plane like crashed into the mountains and I was like
1: Sweet. Uh oh.
2: <laughs> so it was cool getting to like like we literally drove onto the tarmac in the bus and got straight off and got got a little bag of Chick-fil-A and got straight onto the plane. That was cool. But then it was like
0: Are we gonna make it?
2: Are we gonna take off? <laughs> are we gonna be fine? <laughs> Great and it, it was really cool to see just like what that life was about. Um, and again I've learned an incredible about what that would take to run a studio and yeah and then from there you know like at the end of the year uh, i kind of took the job knowing that like there was a real possibility that would be a one-year gig and i kind of had this opportunity uh where i just of on a whim i was kinda half joking half not i texted a friend of mine that uh i had met at the troopers todd clementer he used to be our visual caption head. uh and i was like what do you think you think i could just move to hawaii and teach drums out there and at the time i had been writing for a school uh milani for the past three years uh they go to boa every two years and it's like a really surprising band just like the way they go about things and how organic the process of putting the show is, is is totally different like the first year i was with them was in 2017 i remember going out and meeting the kids and their listening skills were like pretty remarkable and they had no profession teacher like they were just self-taught and i remember thinking what's going on here and I had a conversation with a friend of mine and they were like, well, think about it. They don't have, it's not like Texas where there's a tech for every left pinky. They have to figure it out on their own and want it that much more. And sometimes it's less is more in that sense. Like if we don't give a student every answer and they have to figure it out, it's actually like a much more impactful um, lesson for them. Their years were really great. Um, and just like the passion that every single one of those kids and the, the like pride they had and what they were doing was like, like, I still get goosebumps watching the show they put on. And they went to, they went to BOA that year in 07. And that was the first year a school from Hawaii made it to semifinals and they were the last band called out of for semifinals. And I remember like everyone just like I was in like a group that name was just like blowing up because they literally called out like all fifty however many groups, I think it was fifty and Milan was, was the I remember that. <laughs>
1: wasn't there two groups from Hawaii that went that year?
2: A group from Maui also went that year. But yeah. It, it, it's pretty incredible the the band scene out there so anyways i i've been working with this group and i texted uh the guy that I drew and I was just kind of half joking and he was like actually funny you say that we just had a conversation about like trying to create a full-time job for a percussion director and, and how that happened and next thing i knew i put my things in storage in alabama and got on a plane with two suitcases and got to live in hawaii which was amazing
1: that sounds you. terrible
2: I know. It was, you know, man, like the weather was perfect every day. There was, like, <laughs> was when we rehearsed, we had to look at these beautiful mountains. It was, like a
1: Terrible so, experience. So
2: awful, man. So
1: I found this through whatever you want to call it, Facebook creeping or investigative research, whichever way you want to look at it. We'll go with the latter.
0: Yeah.
2: You're
1: uh you're a instructed or certified scuba diver. Were you that before you went to Hawaii or after you went to Hawaii?
2: I was, I, it, I'm sure this is annoying to people that actually know me, but I have this like secret obsession. I guess not really a secret, but I am like obsessed with the ocean and whales. And in another life, I probably would have been a marine biologist. But I felt getting to live in Hawaii and teach percussion and have a group of friends that were percussionists, but also get to go like free diving with dolphins every week was just like I felt like I was a little bit in a dream. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> That's
0: mind blowing to someone that grew yeah. up in Kentucky. All right, we're done rehearsing. Let's uh let's go swim with the dolphins. <laughs>
2: Sick. So- I'm teaching those kids right now over Zoom, and I joke all the time. I'm like, man, go look for whales for me. I'm in Texas, not not there. But, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Uh, but the scuba diving thing actually happened, I think, when I was living in Georgia. So, yeah.
1: Fun fact. Yeah, that that just sounds like a dream. We're going to go teach percussion yeah. in Hawaii, and uh, it's going to be 70 degrees every day. And, yeah, my life's awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I could just grab for a second. No. Yeah. You know, honestly, I had no plans to leave. um, and I had plans over spring break to come here for a troopers' camp, and then I was gonna judge an indoor show, I think, in in Kentucky. So I was what do you know? Was it for
1: MCGC with Mike Leitsky in that circuit?
2: It might I can't remember to be honest. I'd have to go back and dig it up. Anyways, it got cancelled because there was this mysterious illness, but I still got on the flight because I had to judge this contest. And I got on the plane. And things were one way. And I just had a meeting because we were taking the Milani group to WGI last year. That was the plan. Like, that was going to be the first year that the kids were going to compete. And I remember we had a meeting with the admin, and they were like, this is all good. We're still going to go. It's fine. Got on the plane. Got off the plane in Texas, and it was like the world had shut down. This was March 13th, and it was like, oh. Uh And so I ended up, I was going to go see my parents for four days before the indoor show. And so I just ended up, like, hanging out with mom and dad for months which was awesome it was it's probably the most i've seen my parents since i was in high school So i think that was like a very valuable period of time but during that time i remember talking to the principal of the high school and he was like don't worry about coming back the rest of the semester we're staying virtual and they have in fact been virtual this entire time and they still have not gone back in person so i wow, still teach wow. in a lot of, uh, at night <laughs> I, it's 8 p.m my time when i start their rehearsal which is 4 p.m their time uh, so that's been a very as everyone, I'm sure, is experiencing. It's been interesting to learn how to make that productive.
1: Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Well, it's no, we're, Mike and I are certainly not in any Hawaii situation in Kentucky, but outside of the ice rain that we're currently experiencing, I do recommend a trip to Kentucky for anyone because there's beautiful hiking, mm-hmm. uh, rolling hills with horses, and plentiful bourbon that is around. <laughs> so there's cool. all that. Uh, I guess the next topic I would, pick your brain about kind of dives back to you said you got your job in Alabama you were talking about your philosophies of sound and this and that and obviously you spent a wealth of time developing yourself not only as a marching percussionist but just as a marimba soloist like a music literature whatever you want to call it concert percussionist you were principal percussion for a few different ensembles I saw one in uh, Alabama and then a few others so you what was it about your philosophy that sold it to her like take us through that are you a feel over a sound over a feel type of person are you this what is it
2: i i definitely am and maybe to a fault at sometimes but uh my perception of my own training and for for correctness or not it was always about the sound and so what i can remember like i have this like distinct perception that i never had a true marimba lesson until i studied with kevin bobo that was the first time i really received like a technical comment that made me think about the way i was moving um and if and i'm not saying like that is the right or wrong way it's just like that was my experience it was always about the sound we are trying to make and for me i think that is the direct right way to the path i think both ways work you can talk about how it should feel and it will result in a sound but the thing that i think bothers me is when you talk about this this the feel and sometimes forget to to feel that way is because it will sound and ultimately people developed a technique because they knew it created that sound and so i'm a big proponent of like talking about the sound you want and letting your hands adjust to make the sound versus thinking about how it should feel and then whatever sound results is just like an after effect of that if that makes sense
1: that does make sense um i think that ensembles in the modern era of marching percussion are starting to trend more in that direction. Yeah. Um, especially if you compare now, 2020, 2021 to like 1990, yeah. there's kind of been an, I don't want to say an all out abandonment, but a less strict height system. Yeah. Uh, that I think is a wonderful evolution of the activity. Um, um- that has just allowed for a more balanced ensemble across the board when you're right. not just talking about snares, not just talking about quads, but you're talking about percussion ensemble, horn ensemble, like full package, strictly speaking in like a marching band activity. Um, just because you're allowing people to use their ears more and thinking less about geometry.
2: <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. And, you know, I'm not saying the height system is right or wrong. I'm just saying that like for me, Forte in one context is not the same in another, and I think it limits you to a, a specific, and it's like, you said, like I, I, I will make the example to students that like, I can play 12 inches and have two completely different sounds, and if you're totally relying on just how it feels, there's never a right or a wrong, and so I tell my students that all the time, like, there's not a right or wrong sound, it's just, are we matching, are we playing the same sound, because sometimes you're going to need like a heavier sound, or maybe a more articulate sound, and sometimes you want a lighter sound or maybe you want like a thinner sound for like a really soft moment. It just depends on the context. And so, again, I think that it's just a more direct route to understanding by talking about the sound. And so, and that's not to say like that I won't talk about like how it moves and stuff like there's definitely times where that needs to come into play, but I'm just like wary of getting too into, okay, think about it rotating more here versus like, we're trying to put more of an accent on this, this note and whatnot like that.
0: Well, you, uh. you not only have the musical context, you have the anatomical differences between each person, like people's right. hands are different sizes, yeah. your arms are different sizes and weights. And what, what gets the forte sound you want in one context for one person might be a little different for the person standing next to them. And at the end of the day, you're going to, what matters, you know, if you're judging a marching show or whatever, or some, yeah. any ensemble, you're not right up in front of them. You're not really going to notice if this snare drummer or this marimba player is a playing a little bit higher or using a slightly different technique as long right. as the sound blends and it all sounds the way you want it to sound. So that evolution, just piggyback off what you guys have been talking about, has been incredible, I think, because that way you avoid snare drummers that have their drum up to their nipple. <laughs> like
2: Right. You kind of match the heights Yeah. The-
0: I mean. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Although I would argue some judges use it as a scapegoat to cool.
2: slot groups. Uh, yeah, but- Maybe.
1: Uh, there's that <laughs>
2: i'm like i could go on and on about that because i'll be honest like like obviously we get our trooper tapes but maybe i have friends that other drum corps that are placing you know for second and i'm also able to hear their tapes and the the type of commentary that's happening is so interesting to me about how it's so much more focused on like fundamental like just how they're moving and whatnot versus like it's just different. And I can't tell you how like disappointed I am when I hear like, yeah, marimba three is just not rotating the same. I'm like, can you please talk about the sound? Are you saying that it's not blending? And I really wish to see the judging community as a whole. I'm not saying every all of them, but I wish there was more of a focus on, again, the result we're looking for versus like the the means to get the result. Meaning like they're talking about the technique because what I'm assuming is they're saying it's not blended. But rather than talking about the technique not looking the same, please talk about the sound is not the same, if that's what you mean. And that is that is something that I would love to see happen over the next few years. Like as the teaching side of things becomes more focused on that, I would hope that that's reflected in the judge. And I 100% will tell you that the amount of times I get comments just about like the technique. And and maybe this makes me me sound fool of myself a little bit, but it's like I teach I teach four mallets to college students, you know what I mean? And like
1: No, I I'm 100% on board. I over the years have developed a lot of relationships in the activity with people who are fortunate enough to get gigs and caption head jobs with many different groups. So I've kind of gobbled up a black market of drum tapes um, <laughs> as you will that I keep in a Dropbox folder and I think it's funny the nuance that's given to some groups versus yep. the nitpicking nitpicking that's given to other groups. Um, a group, a friend of mine who had, he was a caption head at a group striving to make finals for a few years, getting like getting their balls busted for like some tap fives that sounded pretty good, but they're just like nitpicking this and that. And then you listen to another group who's competing for a gold medal that you're like, man, they're really like given those, comments with a grain of salt (laughs) right now so yeah i i think judging transparency needs to be boosted significantly
2: you know i would love to see tapes released which i you know and and i say that they used
1: to put them on the dvds
2: i know you know i get it judging is not it's a thankless job right like that that's such pressure to get it right and and oh i don't
1: envy it at all
2: no it doesn't matter which side you're on you're gonna get attacked but like at the same time like i think just by releasing the tapes, it would be a much more transparent situation. And again, I I would love to see the level of comments not be based on the cores ranking. And maybe again, maybe I'm maybe I'm just assuming it's that way. But there are t- tapes on YouTube too, <laughs> you know. Like you can hear, and it's like so frustrating me to hear a group maybe count on some just like notes, like straight up, like the notes are not the same. Yeah, we're getting comments about like oh yeah. to rotate
1: this I mean I, I think know. that there are levels of it that obviously I, I just said I don't envy it but I do think that the activity in order to push forward like the level of training for the judges has to amplify too and I think that I know a lot of judges they would agree with that just because they have to keep up with the evolution right. of the activity I mean we're over here talking about groups playing stuff now that are finishing in, like, 14th, 15th place that, like, I didn't play as a second-place finisher. When Mike and I went to DCI Finals a couple years ago, I think scouts were in 15th place, and I'm sitting there watching them I was like, is this a 15th place drumline? Like, what is (laughs) going on? Our minds were blown. Uh, And just with the addition of, like, electronics and, like, the level of, like, layering and the arrangements and the, the addition of, like, body and the environmental demand like is this group doing something that's hard like do judges from 50 years ago know that it's hard or do they know the difference between somebody who's just simply doing a plie or the blue devils are moonwalking while they're playing a snare (laughs) break
2: no i I think there's judges like mike leisky who have like really taken the steps to to educate themselves as much as they can on what is happening and and be able to speak thoroughly about every aspect of it and then there are other judges that you know like it's just not in their wheelhouse and it's not their fault necessarily, but it's the lack of money. Like there's not money to provide those things. Like from my, my impression, at least. Certainly not right now. Yeah, definitely not right now. But yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, there would be, you know, yearly training and, you know, I think in an ideal world, in my opinion, there would be more percussion judges and, you know, that's coming from percussionists, but I would love to see there be more detailed, maybe like a progression ensemble on, go back to the, you know, PE one, PE two, but. You know. I think that would yes. be
0: incredible. I'm a hundred percent in support of that. Yeah, Box judge field judge. Everybody wins. Yeah.
1: Dude. Even if they wanted to keep it somewhat similar to what it is, like P one has like limits on what they can access to the field, which I don't agree with, but whatever, if they want to keep that fine. But like P two <laughs> said shit, should said, should sit let's edit that out should sit about like 10 rows back and just watch the front ensemble the whole time i mean you're gonna be able to hear the whole ensemble
2: yeah i and you know i think for better or worse i found with the the first year the new limits on where they could go in the field we definitely got way more comments about the front ensemble than any other year so i mean in that sense that was a positive thing but i don't want it to be you have to pick one or the other i just wish there was a way i mean there is a way just
0: to <laughs> evaluate all of it
2: all right yeah, yeah exactly you
0: know obviously it's
1: it's a money game but yeah i just well, yeah. yeah
2: my vote let's take the music too or whatever it was this last year and just move it back to PE too
0: yeah. yeah yep let's do it yeah. i'm on board I'm excited. dci we know you're listening make it happen <laughs> They're not listening.
1: I know. Maybe we'll <laughs> I'm not going to be that vain, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, I guess to the one of the last things here, you have been able to experience a couple of unique performance opportunities that I thought were rather intriguing. One internationally, and two uh, on the state of Hollywood. <laughs> so take us through that. You were on the Hunger Games. Yeah. 2000, catching Fire,
2: right? Yeah, I, was, yeah I, I got to do the fourth one, too, um, but you can't actually see me in that one, so I don't think it counts. You can see my, like, <laughs> behind. Uh, but actually, when I moved to Atlanta in 2012, uh, a friend of mine that I marched with, Nick Taylor. Um, is, Tick Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who rides Good old Nick.
1: way more bicycle than I'll ever ride.
2: Oh, my gosh, yeah. That guy, and just snare drum playing is unbelievable um, but his Thanks. now wife had just moved from Atlanta and she was on the Falcons drumline. she was I think base one uh, and so I think I can't remember how me and Nick started talking about it but he was like hey if you're in the area now you should check out Falcons it's a good way to meet people in the area and just, was, and I was like oh that sounds fun so I went out and tried out for the bass line that was the most drill I've ever done in my entire marching career which I think is so <laughs> how much things I do I don't actually know drill uh but yeah so i had i had drill um but that was like a really good experience and, and there was actually a lot of og blasters in there um that had a lot of performance experience and one of the guys that coordinated the falcons drumline thing was um oh my gosh his face? chris moore who's now i think he's acting as the core director at spirit right now uh but he works at georgia tech on that campus and uh, I don't know if you, if this is like well-known, but like Atlanta has kind of become a little bit of a Hollywood because of the tax breaks. So they actually film a lot, of like Walking Dead and Vampire Diaries and stuff like that. They film uh, in Atlanta, and so they were filming Hunger Games out there, um, and they had filmed this one scene on Georgia Tech's campus, and I guess while they were doing that, it had come up somehow that they needed like 30 drummers, and so Chris Moore got involved with that and asked, he sent out an email to the Falcons drummers, and said, hey, you guys want to be in a movie? Yeah. For Heck sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And so, you know, it's like all the Falcon's drumline, um we get to go and we get like the fitting and it's like so, so like secretive like oh my gosh, no phones, like any of that. Uh, like, it was very intense. And then the level of detail, that was the thing that I remember just being like so blown away by. Like there were maybe like 500 extras in there getting their hair and their makeup and like uniforms and they lined all of us up and went down the row. And they like redid my hairstyle like 10 times. And mind you, I'm in the movie for maybe like two point like point zero five seconds like it's blinking and miss it like it's not a lot of time but they spent so much time making sure each and every one of us looked exactly the way they wanted us to still blows my mind uh, and so then we get out there and it's like on the outside of the like Atlanta Motor Speedway or something and they have this giant green screen and they have like 50, 32 inch timpani just baking in the sun, and I just remember being so hot. And they all hand us these like mixed match like concert bass drum mallets. Like here you go, and they <laughs> and they're like okay, and they play this composed track, and they're like all right, you guys got it right, and we're like uh no, and Can I you think get that Dave- one more time. <laughs> I was like, wait, uh, is there like sheet music or something? And so like Dave Cox, who was an alumni of Blast, you know, and, and UNT and all that. I think he stepped up and was like, all right. And he like came up with a little like ditty we could like loop over and over again. And so we were like, okay, we'll just do that. And then the funniest part was like there were like two random like career extras that come. Like they just seem like they they just get in on like all the extra gigs and whatnot. And they're like over in the corner practicing like they're like but da dum Set to uh, like like very like focused on like it's got to be straight and the rest of us are like oh yeah it's, it's fine like it'll be good.
1: <laughs> Whatever.
2: And Two, three and four like something like that and so we we line up and we're standing there and the funniest part I also I remember them being like okay set and most of us having marching backgrounds were like okay we get still and we're we're hanging out and it's like twenty minutes so would go by and we're like look around like uh are we what are we doing and then they'd be like well. <laughs> And another ten minutes to go by and they'd be like, Action and then immediately it would just start happening. It was just like, Whoa, okay. So quite a bit different. Things move a little bit slower. And then I remember. Where's the, the first eight thing counts we- from
1: the Met? What's
2: going on? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're set, we're ready. No, twenty minutes later. But so then the scene we're in is the like parade scene, I guess, when like they bring I don't know if you've seen the movie, when they bring the tributes out and they're all in like these horse carriages. So they they start playing the music over the loudspeakers and the horses start coming out and they're like, Play really loud So we're like, Okay and the horses like totally freak out. Like, we start playing because huh. <laughs> they don't like the sound of the timpani. So they like cut it, shut it down. The horses are losing their minds. And they're like, okay, we need you to make it look like it's really loud, but you can't play. It's so like, okay. Ghost we, strokes. Here it yeah. is. <laughs> it was fully totally ghosting it. And it, it, you know, and I remember me and a buddy, we were like, okay, we're going to be the money shot. We're going to do it. And sure enough, the camera came like, right by us and like afterwards we're like yeah and we made the trailer which was like I'm sure I'll never top this and I, I, I will tell you I totally use this every time I get a new job like in high school I start with like you guys I was in the Hunger Games so you have to think I'm cool because <laughs> yeah, you have to like
0: respect me and listen to me you know it's just a big deal
2: yeah like do what I say and you'll be in a movie too <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right
2: but yeah it was really cool and I'll tell you, you know like I went to go see the movie in the theaters and I was so into the movie forgot that I was in it and then the scene came up, and it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it was it's kind of a long movie. And then they yeah. had to out again uh, for the fourth one. It was a little bit different experience. I remember being, like, absolutely freezing. Um, but my my pants were wrinkled, I guess, and that was, like, a big deal. That's, like, what I remember about that version of it was, like, my pants were wrinkled. And they kept, like, going behind, like, our backside so you could see behind it. But, yeah, super cool. I don't think – and this was, like, right out of the job, like – these two events you're referencing, I was literally 22 and just had graduated, so I was like, "Wow, music major life, sweet!" Like, <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. And then the second gig that you're referring to is, uh, I got to go to India and play with this Oscar-winning composer A.R. Rahman, who literally wrote the music for *Slumdog Millionaire*. Uh, to tie the back to drum corps,
1: no big deal.
2: Yeah, I didn't know. very casual. But uh, I remember I was like very vividly remember I was like any like home goods, you know. Spending money I didn't need to be spending, and Paul Rennick calls, and so I'm like, oh, okay. And the Troopers thing had just happened again. 2012 was a good year. Uh, <laughs> I answer the phone thinking it's gonna be all Troopers, and he goes, Lauren, do you have a passport? And I was like, uh yeah. And he was like, okay, I need you to go to India. And I was like, uh what? <laughs> okay. And so that's kind of basically this this composer. He wanted like four american percussionists uh girl specifically girls to come and play on his uh performance and i just remember you know it was around christmas time and i was going to join i i can't remember why i had to teach a camp or something so i flew out a day later than everyone else that ended up doing it um and i remember just getting on the plane and just like, we landed in Saudi Arabia, and I remember getting off the plane and being, like, so disoriented about, like, I don't know where I – I have no idea where I go. Like, where's the next plane? And, and and there were folks walking around with, like, these giant machine guns just, like, casually in the airport for security. Like, oh, okay. And then I get on my next flight, and I land in India and realize I have no idea what I'm supposed to do once I get here. Like, I knew I was supposed <laughs> to deny India, which is in South India. But I didn't actually know, like – was I supposed to meet someone? Like, where do I? Like, none of that. I had no so phone they number.
0: They gave yet. you no information about any of that.
2: I just like this like nice. I remember like this lady sitting next to me in the the last fight I had, I guess she first off was like, oh your hair is very yellow, and I was like, oh thank you, and she's like, what do you? I think. <laughs> like, uh, thank you. And she goes, well, what are you, what are you flying for? And I told her I was coming to play in this concert and she totally was like, Oh my gosh, can you get me tickets? And it comes to find out like this composer is like thought of as like the Michael Jackson over there. Like that is like, she was just like, please, can you get me tickets? Well, and I was like, I can't, I'm so sorry, but you know, like thank you for help. And she helped me like make it to the the curb. And so I'm standing there with my bag, just like, I don't really know what to do. And this car rolls up and they roll the window down. They're like, are you Lauren? I was like, yes. And I'm like, okay, get in. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I just try. you know, I had no other option. I was like, okay. Yeah,
0: at that point, you're just like, well, hope this works out.
2: Yeah, but it was so amazing. Like, we get, so they, you know, they drive in. This is the middle of the night. I'd been, you know, it was like a two day flight situation. I left, went from like Dallas to Chicago to New York to Saudi Arabia to Chennai. And I'm just like, okay. So I make it there, and they drive up to this like beautiful, like it to me it looked like a palace, like this just giant place. And I walk in, and one of my best friends might have
1: my, been a palace, right?
2: You know, in my it was a palace to me. It was, and I, I would get in there, and they give me a key, and I go to the room. And one of my best friends from my undergrad, Kaylee Hardeman, was there, and like it was like such a blast, like getting to do that with her and uh, this girl, Adrian Valderrama, who ended up being in Blast for many years, and. Um, two girls that were actually, one was an alumni from Phantom Regiment, was six, uh, Amy Garapick, and her best friend, Megan Arms from Eastman, were also there. And I credit them really putting the idea of going to grad school in my mind. Like that whole trip, they're just like, why don't you go to grad school? Right? like, what do you think? And like that totally like solidified it for me. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And I never really adjusted to the time difference because we would rehearse until like three or four in the morning, and I remember just being like so sleep deprived and like, <laughs> you know and watching him build this whole set was amazing because they were it like you look behind the stage and it was literally held up by like tree sticks but the stage, huh. <laughs> like the mp mtv awards like it was beautiful and um i remember the day of the gig uh the like loser came out to me and he goes um i think i he- i heard you were you were good at mallets and i was like uh i think so sometimes and so he hands me this like lead chart with a bunch of chord changes he's like okay Can you play vibraphone? And I totally got to play like on stage in front of seventy-five thousand people. This like vibraphone part. Mind you, it was not that difficult. But like I was sight reading it in front of all these people, and I totally use that story now with my students. I'm like, you. This is why you need to be good at sight reading because you never know when you're going to find yourself in front of seventy-five thousand people at a rock concert sight reading some vibraphone. That's a
1: pro. That's a pro skill at its finest. One hundred percent.
2: And so, yeah, incredible experience. Really different than anything i've done and i think i peaked at 22 getting to do a rock concert and playing there was a marching snare drum there was tyco drums and vibraphone like when am i ever going to do something like that again and also getting to be in a movie and to work at the troopers so 22 that's the peak guys
0: there it is it's all downhill from there everybody
1: (laughs) well i would uh humbly refute that but in my own personal life but you uh, definitely had quite a 22 a year like back to back to back 22 year. so yeah i won't argue with it pretty solid uh well but yeah i think that hit like we knocked out my list pretty pretty hard that was it. great unless there's like anything else that you want to roll out like the red carpet for that you have going on or looking forward to or anything like that
2: uh i wrote a marimba solo hype that up so people will buy it
1: <laughs> is that the one is that the one on your website the uh li- I, I looked at it but i did not get a chance to listen to it it's like five and a half minutes long right
2: but if you want to, we can hype that up. Uh, yeah, Let's do it. I, I did that over, uh, over quarantine. I finally had the time to sit down and record that piece that I started writing, um, really in my undergrad and I just never took the time to finish it. And it was a labor of love. It was something that I, I knew I wanted to do in my undergrad and started writing and never got past eight bars because you start taking theory classes and music history and you realize, wow, all these great composers, what, my thing sounds, not like that and so i kind of put the pressure on myself to the point of not wanting to write it and it really took me getting to my graduate studies and i started painting as we mentioned earlier i like the ocean and so i started painting uh killer whales favorite pastime of mine i know so exciting uh but i thought you know i honestly thought i was good at painting whales and i have no training in it like i've got taken a painting class i don't know any technique i just think hey that looks like a whale like seriously go look at my instagram i put paintings up. I think they look like a killer whale. But if I showed it to some art professor, I'm sure they would rip it apart and be like, this technique is terrible.
1: I'm looking right now. That's actually ironic considering art is so subjective, but yeah.
2: <laughs> but you know, it, 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 there's a correlation there with music. We learn all these techniques and study the great things in the chorus. And it's kind of like what we're talking about, like talking technique versus sound. We talk about, you know, about techniques that have worked for other artists and learning how to emulate them so you can make your own art. And so going through the process of painting and and reminding myself, like I'm just doing it for me and my enjoyment. It reminded me that, you know, when I was in middle school and I was like in my all-girl rock band and I would write all the tunes, I just liked writing music and I didn't judge what I was doing back then. I just did it because I liked it. And so it was like in two weeks I was able to finish writing that warm solo. Um, I ended up performing it at uh, my master's degree, which is something I, I had originally wanted to do in my undergrad. Um, and then fast forward to our lovely quarantine year this year i found myself a lot of time and thought well maybe now is the good time to learn how to record myself you know i see all these like 410 media fancy videos with all the cool camera angles i was like i bet i could do that with my iphone Uh, (laughs) probably not not the same but i did learn a lot about self-recording and what not to do uh but i did you know eventually two months later than I thought it would take me to finish recording it. And at the time I was involved with the the Heartland Merma Quartet or the professional ensemble version of it. And they were doing a digital Mermacon concert. So I submitted that video that I spent probably more hours than someone that knows what they're doing would in terms of recording. Yeah, it was a great experience. I can now talk to my students about what not to do in self-recording.
1: What's the title of the piece you wrote?
2: Oh, just the light we see. And you know, another topic on that note is. Uh, i've learned a lot about self-publishing You know i really thought about doing the whole publishing it through you know like ip or tapspace or something and the more i thought about it the more i thought i think i want to do I, something about like not owning the rights of something i created felt weird to me and so i actually going back to the paintings i have a etsy you know like the arts and crafts website and i just listed them I'm still on there and it's for direct download which has been great i don't have to worry about anything people can purchase it and they just get a link to download it i don't have to do anything um so yeah that was my uh, dip into composing and you know it's that's a personal goal of mine is to kind of expand on that and learn more about that whole process cool.
1: so if people want to find it they can find it on etsy and then also you have a website right org.
2: I know I at an organization of .com was taken,
1: so sorry. It was taken, but, and it was definitely not you. Definitely
2: not. <laughs> uh, but she is a musician, I will she say. She's a
1: musician, but I was like, this isn't the right website. <laughs>
2: yeah. So,
1: Lauren Teal, Teel, T E E L.org. I like the color. What would think. you, uh, as far as like skill level for somebody who's looking for Marimba solo, would pretty advanced?
2: You know, I would I would think it's pretty advanced, but then one of my friends like, hey, a freshman in high school, I got him playing your solo. I was like, oh, okay, well, so there's that. But to me, I, you know, writing that piece, I incorporated a lot of techniques I was working on at the time, like a lot of close seconds uh, and trying to drop notes in while keeping those close second laterals going Uh, and just, you know, as as an undergrad, I really found myself drawn to romantic period marimba or piano literature. Um, much to my professor's disappointment, who said I was holding our instrument back by playing. Music. But I just felt like a lot of literature that was out there was very much drumming, focused on M Meaning, like, there's a lot of like, let's do some paradiddles on some fifths because it feels good, or let's do this permutation over fifths because it feels good. Versus like, and and don't get me wrong, there's that in my piece like too, because I did write it at a keyboard versus at the computer. But I really was more interested in playing things like Chopin or WC. Um, and so I think there's some influences with that, not that I am comparing myself to those composers but I am saying that those are the things that kind of influenced the form and style of that piece
1: heck yeah, well now I actually need to make time to listen to it yeah right, (laughs) me too
0: well I think that's a perfect note to wrap this up on you two got anything else? thanks for having me no, thanks for for hanging out this has been great Uh, so let's close this out i'll reiterate briefly the spiel from the beginning uh subscribe on youtube comment like facebook instagram spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, whatever you want to do patreon.com lone star percussion code aged out save 10 bucks links in the well, links in the description for that um yeah we'll see everybody next time peace